0: I will ask you simple questions. You will answer in short sentences only what you believe to be absolute truth.
1: Absolute truth. I can do that.
2: Now, brief as you can, what is your name? Stanton Carlisle. Are you a true medium? Yes, I am.
0: Mr. Carlisle?
2: Doctor. About that.
0: Please later down.
2: Can you read minds? Yes, I can. Under the right circumstances. Keep your answers brief.
0: What do I want?
2: To be found out, same as everybody else. Are you in contact with the beyond? Well, we've had our share of snake charmers in the past. We deal with them.
1: You don't fool people, Stan. I've given you a fortune. It's
2: time that you delivered.
0: When does it end? I wanna know. If you displease the right people, the world closes in on you very, very fast.
1: Welcome to the Strange Harbors podcast, a weekly discussion of film, television, and pop culture. My name is Jeff Zhang, and tonight I'm joined by Amir Turei and Derek Wong. So tonight we're discussing Guillermo del Toro's remake of the 1947 noir Nightmare Alley, starring Bradley Cooper, Kate Blanchett, Rooney Mara, Willem Dafoe, Tony Collette, David Strathairn. What a stacked cast this thing has. Crazy cast. hmm it is now streaming on HBO Max and Hulu. I think this is the first time I've ever seen anything streaming on both those platforms at once. Mm-hmm. Kind of a funny release. But yeah, this one kind of flew under everyone's radars. I think ever since Disney bought Fox and Searchlight, I mean, this is under the Searchlight banner, they kind of have been burying all the Fox stuff in favor of Marvel and like the big tentpole disney blockbuster, so really kind of unfortunate and this was one of my 2021 blind spots i didn't actually get to see this in theaters when it came out i don't think any of us did right
0: and we all talked about wanting to but it's just something that kind of yeah, slipped by on and i list. never got to yeah.
1: i kind of regret not seeing it because this might have made it to my top 10 maybe last oh, year really? wow. maybe i like this a lot
2: i liked it i don't know if i liked it that much but it was, it was good
1: yeah it was really good
2: Okay, so are you guys Guillermo del Toro fan? We can start with that.
1: Yeah. Yes. I'm a huge Guillermo del Toro fan. Have you seen I all this
2: stuff? I'm sure you have, Jeff Foggy, right? I think I have.
1: I don't think there's anything that I'm missing. Let me let me check his filmography. Quick filmography check. All right. Kronos, I've seen Mimic, The Devil's Backbone, Blade 2. Hellboy, Pan's Labyrinth, Hellboy 2, Pacific Rim, Crimson Peak. The Shape of Water, Nightmare. Yeah, I've seen everything.
2: I think I've seen everything after The Devil's Backbone.
1: Including The Devil's Backbone? Or no, everything a- after uh, it. Uh, okay.
2: After The Devil's Backbone. Actually, maybe I didn't see Crimson Peak. Let me see. So I've seen the others, meaning Blade 2, Hellboy, Pan's Labyrinth, yeah. Hellboy 2, Pacific mm-hmm. Rim, The Shape of Water, and now
0: Nightmare Alley. Yeah. We're probably on the same boat as you, Amir. I think I've seen pretty much those exact same movies. I haven't seen Crimson Peak either. But yeah, generally I really do love Guillermo del Toro, I love, not to give anything away too early, it's kind of a contrast because the thing I love most about Guillermo del Toro is his monsters, Mm -hmm. like the way he creates creatures and those kind of visual effects around them that I love, but this movie is definitely devoid of that, right? There's no fantastical nature to this movie, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't take away from my enjoyment of this movie, but uh, that is something I do definitely love about
1: his movies. Favorite Guillermo del Toro?
0: Ooh. I'm gonna say Pan's Labyrinth.
1: Pan's Labyrinth's a good one.
0: I think Pan might be arguably maybe his best movie. But man, I fucking love Blade Two like so much. Ooh, Blade <laughs> Two rocks. Blade Two is yeah, really good. So
2: good. Yeah. Blade Two is really good.
0: He creates this visual for like vampires that I think other people are just obsessed about now. I I mean I don't remember it happening before seeing it in his movies. You know, like where the bottom jaw like splits open like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the reaper thing yeah it's, it's visuals like that, that I just think are so creative it's just so so his style that I love
1: uh, maybe Crimson Peak might be my favorite I love really? Crimson Peak yeah dude it's wow. so good I think they mismarketed that as like a horror movie when it's really like a gothic romance mm-hmm. which I really 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 like this might be a hot take but my least favorite is The Shape of Water I think that's fair I'm not on the shape of Water train at all.
2: Mm. I didn't dislike it when I saw it, but, like, I feel like in retrospect, if I look back,
1: it's not going to rate highly. Um, I'm no prude. I'm all about, like, whatever. If you, if you want to fuck your fish, that's fine. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's just, like, kind of mediocre, I think. I don't know. There are people who love that movie, so I don't want to be, like, yucking anyone's yum. But, like, I don't know. I think all of his other stuff is just more interesting and the creature in the shape of water is just Abe from Hellboy. <laughs> yeah. He <is>. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And I think the story is just a little predictable. Like, I mean, first of all, I do think Guillermo del Toro's imagination sometimes outstrips his storytelling abilities a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of his stuff is more visually interesting. Like, the stories yeah. are good. I, I think they're really, really good. But I think the strength of his uh directorial style lies in his like you know, his imagination, his creature design and like how meticulous he is with this. And and that really comes forward in this movie too, Nightmare Alley, even though it doesn't have like monsters or anything. But this is a gorgeous movie. It, it's yeah. such a good looking movie. Dan Lausen, cinematographer like he has for I think the last three movies, Crimson Peak, Shape of Water, and then this. I actually have not seen the original, the 1947 version. Me neither. I didn't know it was a remake until after I watched this one. So, <laughs> I, yeah, I definitely haven't seen the original. But this is based more on the book, mm-hmm. according to interviews. But I also hear that it's pretty close to the original 1947 movie, too. And this is also the first movie in the last, I don't know, couple of decades that I want to say is, like, true noir. Mm-hmm. Like it's not neo noir, it's noir, right? Because it, it takes place in the forties, and it captures that sensibility like perfectly. There's a black and white version of this too, by the way.
2: Oh really? Yeah. No, crazy. I feel like I th- wouldn't actually enjoy that. I don't know. Like the colors in this movie are pretty rich. Like I,
1: yeah, they are. They are. There's some things that are green,
2: black and white, like uh, like last year's Macbeth, right? Which I did find interesting. Oh yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Did you like gorgeous. that by the way? I did.
2: I thought it was great. Yeah. It was uh, good. I thought it fucking owned. Was it Catherine Hunter as The Witches? Yeah. Dude, really memorable performance. But obviously, the the cast is stacked and everything's great. And Joel does a great job of making everything super, like, uh, ominous. And, like, uh, it's, it's awesome. It's really good. But, yeah, just, I just I think this had too much color in it for I me mean, to really enjoy the whole Black Panther version of this. Uh, yeah. As you said, it's a gorgeous movie.
1: Yeah, it's bleak. The attitude is right. Bradley Cooper really, like, embodying that. Nor protagonist, you know? You know, like a drifter type character. Um and this movie's mean. Yeah. It's a cruel fucking movie. And I love that. I love that. Uh I mean I mean, what'd you guys think? Did you guys like the movie? I Amir, mean, you already said you did. What'd you think, Derek?
0: Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I found it, like I said, surprising compared to I, I agree. think. You know, his filmography, like, I wasn't expecting a movie like this. But, like, you could definitely see that his style still comes through. Like, I love the dramatic lighting. And, I mean, that's really vindictive to noir movies. But, like, mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, there's still Guillermo in there, right? And, like, some of the costume design and then, like, the way he even dresses up the character of Molly at the end. It's Guillermo, right? I do think that it's a little
1: long. I do feel it a little so bit. So, it's yeah.
2: long? But the parts at the end were the parts that I thought were actually the most interesting. I agree. I was like man, like this is gone quite I was like like I knew it was like a two almost a two and a half hour movie right but mm-hmm. I didn't feel the one thing go was boring but like I, I was cognizant of the fact that it, it is a long movie but it was that whole ending act that I thought was the most surprising and rewarding. yeah mm-hmm. so
1: I did appreciate that. A lot of people were rattled by the first half of this movie, or like the first hour, really, where they think nothing is happening. Yeah, it's kind of, and it's meandering. So, Ashley, my wife, she watched with me, and then she checked out. She's like, "Nothing's happened for like an hour. I'm out." <laughs> <laughs> um, so fair, but I don't know, man. Every thread that's in the first hour, it comes back, and it makes that first hour much more rewarding. It's just the carny vibe, man. You just got to go with it.
0: I mean, I kind of agree, but then I disagree. I mean, I feel like the relationship he has with and Dafoe's character and then like the Xena and what was the husband's name? Pete. Pete, yeah, all kind of like threads through really well, but like the whole Bruno major relationship and then having them come back for just a scene at this second half of the movie, that was the one relationship
1: that I just don't know like needed that much screen time. It didn't um, have that much screen time, though. Like, I feel like that was only like five minutes of of uh, yeah. But like,
0: th- that's story. what I'm saying. Like, that's stuff that can kind of get cut, right, and to make this like a two twenty or two fifteen movie rather than a two thirty movie. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I get what you're
2: saying, um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't think that took too much time. I can see how that first half would like lull you into a false sense of security, though. Like, even though it's a movie about carnies and it's this noir movie, the first half is a little bit brighter than the second half.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, before the wheels start turning and everything starts kind of moving towards its inevitable tragic end, the first half is pretty bright, right? Mm-hmm. And so it could kind of beat and
1: switch you a little bit. Yeah, I, I would say the plot doesn't kick in until uh, Cate Blanchett shows up as Lilith. Yeah, right? absolutely. Um, yeah, she's definitely the catalyst for this movie. Everyone's great in this movie, by the way. Uh, yeah, yeah, everyone's really, really good. You guys Bradley Cooper fans. I'm a Bradley Cooper fan. Really I like good him. He's really good mm-hmm. in
2: this. Yeah, I knew you were going to like this movie just because Tony Collette is in this, so I know you're <laughs> yeah. already
1: a smaller part than I had expected hoped for. Yeah, for that caliber of actress, but so that's fine. She was I mean, great. Yeah, she was good. She was good. They were all good. Davis Shorthair is great in this too. Mm-hmm. Very tragic character. I think Bradley Cooper's trajectory as an actor is like fascinating. He started off as like Sydney Bristow's best friend on Alias, like a really kind of thankless role and then he was the fucking asshole in wedding crashers that's (laughs) right yes and then like holy shit all of a sudden he's like this force of nature leading man actor you know and it's like i don't want to say it came out of nowhere but like he didn't really come into his career until later on you know i
2: I know exactly what we're talking about because i I read like uh, someone wrote something about it about him kind of like making that change and i never did read that whole article about, uh-huh. I, I know that is a phenomenon that really did happen to him. Just like from a quick Wikipedia check, I guess in 2012, they're calling his Breakthrough. And I guess that's like Place Beyond the Pine, Silver Lining Playbook. Yeah. Oh, he was in the
1: Hangover movie. He was the Hangover. I was going to yeah. say, when when was the Hangover, right?
2: Yeah, the
0: Hangover
1: movies. Even then, that was like. Yeah, that's still never like the first phase, right? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's definitely not like the Bradley Cooper you have now. Because Hangover was way before Silver Lining's Playbook, right? Because. Uh... What year was The Hangover? 2009? Uh, yeah, Hangover's
2: 2009. Yeah. And uh, Silver Linings
1: is 2012. I remember, yeah.
2: But Hangover 2 is 2011. There's still some overlap there, like the role she's playing. Yeah. He was freaking Rocket Raccoon. Yeah. His, I always, forget that. I always forget that. Isn't that wild?
0: I was going to say, do you guys want to give a quick synopsis before we actually start delving into actual like plot points and everything?
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I guess the movie's about a, uh, a drifter, Stan, who uh, finds his way to a carnival and he uh, he befriends the people there. He learns some things from them. Uh, <laughs> and um, eventually he finds a girl and leaves with her to go on to sort of bigger and better things. That's where the rest of the movie really kicks in. I guess they move to, is it Rochester? Are they outside of Rochester already? But they're somewhere in like Western New York. And they move to another town, and they establish a very successful sort of act, as a step up from the carnival they were in. Oh. And uh, that's when Kate Blanchett's character enters the picture and starts shaking things up. She's a doctor who is conspiring to work with uh, Bradley Cooper's Stan character to scam some of her patients by giving him information that he can use to pretend that he's a medium and contacting like another. One. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of goes from there. I don't know. Do you want to go into the into the rest of it?
1: Uh, I don't think we need to go into spoilers. Just, yeah, yeah okay. I, mean, I think we'll just talk about the plot as. As we go on, but
0: well, I was going to say another important thing that probably should be mentioned is that, like in his time at the carnival, like you know the things that Amir says he learned is that he was taught by these two characters, Pete and Zena, to be like a, a mentalist, right? Like a person that read people and then kind of fool them into believing that you're, you know, you're like a medium or you're like talking to the dead or you're like getting information to them to like help comfort them and all that kind of stuff that's his act right that he brings with him when he you know him and molly leave the carnival to take this somewhere else and make the show quote-unquote bigger Mm -hmm. um in the the second half of the movie
1: i mean they basically drop everything else from the carnival it's just his mentalism act after Mm -hmm. they leave right so he uh rebrands himself as this as amir said this medium and like a lot of the leaps in logic like you kind of have to like suspend your disbelief a little bit. I think it's a little exaggerated how he can like. Like what? Deduce all the things that he's able to deduce, even without like the trickery, right? Like just how quickly he thinks on his feet. Like how he knows that. Lilith had the handgun in her purse or whatever. I really
2: liked that, though. I totally was into it. I I liked
1: it, but I I was like, there's no way anyone could actually deduce that quickly. But, Mm -hmm. like, even though everything he said kind of made sense, like...
2: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, so Um, it happens one in every hundred times.
1: It's a movie. Like, this is the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. It's a movie about a guy who can do that. I don't know. I get what you're saying. It, it, It didn't, like, take me out of the movie. Yeah.
1: You know what I mean? Yeah, so... By the end, he gets, like, in over his head. His two big marks are, like, the wealthy Judge Kimball and this other guy named uh, Ezra Grindle, played by Richard Jenkins. And uh, both of his acts, for them, end in tragedy. So it was a very, very dark movie. <laughs> yes. Very kind of downer ending to this, too. But, yeah, very very Guillermo del Toro uh, stylistically, I think.
2: So you want to talk about, like, the first part, the Carney part? What do you guys take from that? Like that, that part of the movie that like you thought resonated in the second half? What did you take
1: from it? I just thought like every thread in that first forty-five minutes, fifty minutes, it all came back in the end, right? Okay, like, so
2: spoilers from here on out, I guess we haven't really spoiled enough. Um so like obviously the geek thing is one, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Coming back in the, around in the very, very end. The thread of his like
1: uh, well, the death of his father, which opens the film where he's, like, yeah. letting his father die and then, like, setting the house on fire and all that. Pete's death, where Stan accidentally gives him the wood alcohol instead of uh, the booze, which comes back to when uh, when he's ultimately betrayed by Lilith, right? Did I
0: miss that? Is it an accident?
1: Yeah. I think it's an accident. Because yeah, he yeah.
0: admits it to Lilith that it's an accident. I don't okay. think he you knew
1: beforehand whether it was
2: accidental or on purpose, or whether he had anything to do with it at all, really, like, it's a little bit unclear. Mm -hmm. Because they find Pete, the sort of alcoholic mentalist mentor character, um, they find him dead, and everyone's just like, oh, he finally did it to himself. And no one really thinks anything of it. Only he knows, oh, I accidentally brought him the wood alcohol instead of whatever. Right? But I don't even know if in the film that's entirely clear. Unless you're supposed to be paying attention to, like, the color of the box from which... He fetches the alcohol, which, like, I just, I just was not
1: Yeah, I never actually, like, I noticed the color of the see. boxes, even though uh, Willem Dafoe's character, Clem, he states, like, oh, this box is the booze, this box has the wood alcohol, uh, just note the color, even though I didn't really notice any of the color in the box. but It's very faint. Yeah, I, it's very faint. It's very, very faint. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if you're you entirely
2: know. supposed to.
1: And then, you know, Pete, when he's still alive, and Xena, who's played by Tony Collette, his wife. They warn him not to, like, lead people on when it comes to, like, contacting supposed dead loved ones, right?
0: You always tell them the truth, right?
1: And both times it kind of fucks him over in the future, right? Yeah,
0: and
2: that's both of the things that he's asked to do. Those are both of the things that, yeah, he goes ahead with
1: because the first one, Judge Kimball, he's like, oh, you can be reunited with your son, like, when you die or whatever. <laughs> right? And then...
2: Well, he's like, oh, you'll all be reunited soon yeah. or something. Which, like, you yeah, don't have yeah, to yeah. take in any particular way. But I guess it drives the lady off the edge. So Judge Kimball and his wife, their son died in World War One in no man's land. And uh, the judge wanted his son to enlist and his mother did not. And so they're completely grief-stricken and unable to move on and their marriage is destroyed because of, like... I guess, the guilt and the grief. And so they hire Stannis, this medium, to contact their son from beyond the grave. He just says, like, some nice-sounding stuff. Like, oh, you know, your son, like, loves you very much and he misses you and you'll all be together soon or something. Not thinking anything of it. (laughs) And then in the most shocking scene in the film, (laughs) Judge Kimball's wife –
1: is Murder talk- suicides. Yeah,
2: <laughs> they're talking at like the breakfast table over like a newspaper, and she's like, "Hey, you remember when that medium said we'd be reunited with our son soon?" And he's like, "Yeah, it's like you want And, then she-, and then she just pulls out a pistol and shoots him in the head. Yeah, <laughs> dude, that was insane.
1: And she shoots herself in the
2: eye. Yeah, yeah. dude, it's so nuts. was <laughs> crazy. That was excellent. That was where the movie truly f- first, like, really shocked me.
1: That's pretty late in the game, too. Really stark Guillermo del Toro-type violence there. It was nuts. The shocks of gore.
2: That yeah. was really wild. I think the rest of it was fairly, like, not, like, rote or predictable, but nothing was shocking, right? Yeah. Like, that murder-suicide was definitely shocking. And that's only in, like, the last, I don't know, third of the movie, the last quarter of the movie. It really is near the end. Mm-hmm. Anything else you wanted to address in that first part of
0: the movie well a lot of the first part of the movie kind of revolves around we've already been talking about like the tony collette pete relationship where he learns this whole kind of mentalist game but then the other half of that is his meeting and falling in love with the rooney mara molly character mm-hmm. right which becomes the only character that really gets brought into this yeah right. carries over to the second half of this movie the best way to equate it, it's almost like a magician act, right? Where, like, he's the star, but then she's the assistant. And she has her own carnival act, but then they fall in love, and then he convinces her to be his assistant, this person that's going to help him um, use these verbal clues to be able to deduce the things that he needs to say to convince, like, the crowd, like, hey, I'm I'm actually connected to these people, or I'm I'm getting some kind of reading that, that you guys can't. Mm-hmm. Like, what did you guys think of his relationship with the Ruini Mar character?
1: Do you think they had a good, like, Rapport, like good chemistry as
0: like as as actors.
1: Yeah. I thought they were I thought they were great. I mean, Bradley Cooper, Rooney Morrow, you can't really go wrong there. <laughs> and I thought like the deterioration of that relationship is like pretty convincing too. Yeah. You know, like is. just mm-hmm. him pushing her to do more and more things that made her Morally uncomfortable. uncomfortable yeah. And then like things that Well, also
2: cheating on her simultaneously.
1: Yeah, obviously with Kate Blanchett's Lilith, who I think is the standout in this movie, by the way. I think Kate Blanchett is excellent in this. She's so good. She's super scary, right? Yeah. But I wouldn't, like, call her evil or anything, right? Like, uh, she's kind of She's evil. a little... She's pretty evil. I don't know. I mean... <laughs> I mean, no more or less than Bradley Cooper, I feel, right? I mean... She uh, might
2: <laughs> be more. I don't know. Um... I don't know. I mean, he's totally an asshole. Like, he's not a good person. Right? He's scamming people, like uh-huh. preying on their emotions in order to and, and like tricking them in order to scam them out of money. Right? But yeah. it is like an understandable goal. She's just sort of a sadist.
0: I think Kate Blanchett is great in this movie for what served to her, but like for me, it was. One of the weaker characters, I think, in my opinion, just because, like, I don't quite completely understand her motivations in this movie. Is she doing this to stand because she's just trying to protect herself? Spoilers. In the end, Kate Planchett betrays the Bradley Cooper character, right? The Stanton Carlisle character. And, like, part of me just doesn't understand is it is it because of what he does when they first meet where he completely embarrasses her and, like, reads her? I mean, that's definitely what it is, right? Because she
1: says so herself.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Wait, say again? Go back to that? You said, Jeff, you think it's entirely because he dominated her in their first interaction and she just has wanted revenge the entire time?
1: I mean, I don't think it's 100%, but I, I do think it's a big part of her motivation, right? I didn't
2: even really think of that. I kind of thought she was sort of just a sadist. Like, she just enjoys manipulating and dominating people. Mm-hmm. And she was disappointed that he wasn't able to keep up, but also kind of happy that she was superior to him. I know what you mean with not understanding her so much as a character, but uh, I, like, I like what she did. So the Xena character, I really liked her, actually. I really liked Tony Collette in this, too. Um, mm-hmm. I liked the general sexual relationship with, uh, with Stan at first. Yeah. Right? I thought that mm-hmm. was cool. I thought it was an interesting, like, sort of twist. Uh, not twist, but, like, an interesting, sort of realistic way to play that character and to play that relationship.
1: Uh, yeah. Uh, and they didn't, like, make her hate. Her husband Pete, or anything, they still have like a loving relationship. It's just a little wrinkle that seemed like a little shading to the character that I enjoyed, you know.
2: I, I always like when a movie acknowledges how good looking his actors
1: are. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> That's true.
2: Like, if Bradley Cooper's walking around as like a bum,
1: uh-huh. he's
2: gonna be able to use his looks to do something. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he still looks like Bradley Cooper, you know what I mean? I guess maybe not the end, but you know what I mean? Like he, it, Like, that does help. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. a charmer and he's this and he's that, but he also has looks, do help.
0: To, to get back to the Kate Blanchett side of things, I mean, the real crux of this movie lies in the Richard Jenkins character, right? The Ezra Grindle character. Mm-hmm. I mean, even Kate Blanchett's character kind of warns Stanton that he probably shouldn't have dealings with this person because he's unstable and he's unhinged. But I think it's Bradley Cooper's character's hubris that leads him down this spiral. His thinking that he can lead this person along to, like, take their money, but then thinking that he can convince him that he's going to actually reunite him with
1: his dead wife, right? Who died from a failed abortion, Jesus Christ. And, you know, like, the whole thing is that Stan pushes it too far, right? Mm -hmm. Like, he could have just been fine saying that, oh, he's contacted his, his dead wife and, like, deduce things that she might have said or, like, give, like, little details from Lilith's files. But he wants to take things further and have this apparition of his dead wife appear, who kind of looks like a Rudy Mara's Molly. So that's, like, their ultimate undoing, that he has Rudy Mara dress up as his dead wife, like, you know, with all the fake blood and stuff. Um, That was very Guillermo del Toro, too, by the way. Yeah, that look was great. But then, like, Grindel gets too caught up in the moment, and he goes up close, and he realizes that it's not his wife. I found it interesting that Molly, like, immediately fucking folded Right? She mm-hmm. was like, I don't want to do this, like as soon as Grindel came up to him and then fucking Stan beats him to death. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Uh it was crazy. And then uh Grindel's got like this heavy too, uh Holt McAlaney as, as uh what's his name? Anderson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he runs him over with a car twice. Yeah, I mean there's a lot of brutality
0: and kind of gruesomeness at the end, you know, with Richard Jenkins' face beat in and then like when he runs over the Anderson character and like it just mauls the dude. But yeah, so that's definitely a touch of Guillermo in there uh, Uh that I I really quite enjoyed. But yeah, and then that leads to Stanton running back to the Lilith character, and then that's when the the betrayal happens, right? Like, Mm -hmm. we've gotten clues in the beginning of the movie that she records all her sessions, so she starts, like, recording the session and denying that she knows anything about what Bradley Cooper's been doing and, like. That it's all just, like, in his imagination and then, like, pretends to be attacked, I guess, and, like, shoots him, like, straight in the ear. Mm-hmm. And she gets away with all the money that Bradley Cooper has been stealing from the Richard Jenkins character. And then Bradley Cooper's really left with nothing. And then the, I guess the real kind of sad twist ending – I mean, it's not really a twist, but, like, it's very poetic ending – is that he ends up back at a carnival and he's convinced to be – the geek for that carnival right like do mm-hmm. you guys want to explain this whole geek concept a little bit
1: yeah so in the beginning willem dafoe who's like the carnival like ringleader in the first half of the movie he has an act called the geek who's just like the savage homeless drug addict who he sells as like oh is he man or is he beast and he like bites the heads off chickens and like he lives in this pit he reveals to stan like how he gets these geeks right he gets like these people who are, like, desperate for jobs and who are, like, addicted to alcohol. And and he drops opium into the alcohol he provides them to, like, really push them over the edge and become, like, dependent upon him for their fix. of like, you know, their booze or the the drugs. And just really dehumanize these people to become, like, basically circus uh, sideshows. And it's just poetic that you know, Stanton in the beginning he's like, yeah, like how you treat these people is like awful, right? He's like these poor souls. And then in the end, he becomes one, right? Because there's like a time jump in the end. It's like he's been like an alcoholic for, for years and years after uh, Lilith's betrayal. And finally, he makes it back to like another carnival. And this new carny guy offers him a job just like Willem Defoe did to his geeks. And the film ends with the guy asking him, like, Do you want to be the geek? And Bradley Cooper's like, I was born for this. I
0: think the really sad thing about it is that we get a scene early in the movie where William Defoe completely confesses to the Bradley Cooper character, like how he does it, like step yeah. by step, right? He mm-hmm. says, like, oh, I I do this, I say this, you know, I say that like, oh, it's only gonna be temporary until we find like a more yeah. permanent geek and slowly feeds him drugs and booze and then like basically makes him dependent. At the end, you know, this head carney this new guy that we haven't met, basically does the exact same steps, right? He, mm-hmm. like, gives him a little bit of the drug. And it's like, hey, this is just to hold you over a little bit. I'm going to give you a meal. And you're just going to be the geek just temporarily, right? Until we find a more permanent geek. You realize, like, the Bradley Cooper character knows exactly what's happening.
1: Mm-hmm. And he
0: just starts, like, cackling, right? Because he understands, like, what's happening to him. But yet he accepts the fate that mm-hmm. that is going to happen to him, like, being the geek and – I, I think that's just the most tragic and, like, just ironic. Honestly, like, my I, probably my favorite thing that happens in this movie. Like, that's probably, like, the scene that I think uh, – the ending that really holds this movie together for me, That that's really strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you think, Amir? No, I, I
2: completely agree. It was a very poetic, very sad ending with him just laughing and crying, accepting his downfall. Um, I didn't see this ending coming at all. Like, I think – Maybe that first hour of the movie lulled me into thinking it was something other than what it was gonna be. And even the failure of the scam with Ezra I saw coming. Like mm-hmm. up <laughs> through there I was like not super surprised by the movie, except for that Murder suicide. But then where it goes after that with him running to a Lilith character. Because after that happened, I was like, okay, where's no like why is the movie not over? Like what else is happening here? What's <laughs> the end of the story? So the whole betrayal by Lilith leading into him becoming the geek artist. That whole tragic ending is not what I saw coming for the character. So, mm-hmm. um, I really enjoyed that.
1: Yeah. And it's not like a rug pull or anything either. No, I mean, maybe a set- little bit, but it's very naturally done. It makes and, complete and sense. artfully done. Yeah. yeah. It's great.
2: I, I thought it was sort of a surprise. I mean, I, and it was definitely not in my head. Yeah, exactly it was definitely a surprise the for end sure. act of the movie is going to be to betraying him. Like, that just never even mm-hmm. crossed my mind. And, uh, yeah, I thought it was great.
0: I do just really want to commend this movie for – And we've already kind of been talking about it, and Jeff's mentioned a lot too, where it's been a while since I've seen, like, a movie this tight where, like, so many things are set up at the beginning that gets, like, paid off at the end, right? Like, I think there isn't that kind of respect I think some movies have nowadays where, like, uh, movies just lay out a bunch of things but don't pay them all off or they lay them out and they just don't really go anywhere, really satisfying all praise goes to like you know the original movie but then also the novel that it's based off that I think the story itself and like the elements within the story are just so closely knit that it just creates this really cohesive really satisfying story for the end by by the end of it
1: I think you get a newfound appreciation for the opening act of this movie where it kind of seems like nothing's happening but like you said it it sets up all these threads and and um everything comes full circle uh, I think you get a newfound appreciation for, for the beginning of this movie by the time you reach its end, right? And I think there's this habit for movies, especially, like, bigger movies, to, like, not be that challenging or, like, bleak. Or they're, like, afraid to be dark, I think. Mm-hmm. and And, like, they pull their punches. And this movie doesn't do any of that, which I really, really like. I found that quite refreshing, even though... It didn't really feel good by the end, but I don't know. I, I like that. It's ballsy. I mean, even though it's a remake and, and the ending is pretty much the same, but we just haven't seen that something like that mm-hmm. in in a while. It's very true to that
2: kind of North spirit, and I uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. It's, uh, it's a beautiful movie. It's well acted. Everyone does their thing. Um, Like you said, Derek, it is a little long, but overall, I mean, uh, a really fun watch. I don't know if it's in my top 10 of 2021 i not sure about
1: that. Yeah, I might have jumped the gun. I don't think it, might have, <laughs> it would have been, like, actually top 10, but it's up there. Up there,
0: yeah. It was good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it could have made my short list, but I ultimately, like, yeah, looking yeah, back at yeah. my so top too. 10, I don't think it would have made it Yeah, I could can, I can yeah. see that. I could see it being yeah. there.
2: Um, and then, like, I don't even know if it's my favorite one of his movies either.
0: No. Yeah. I, I still yeah. think I would hold, like, those other ones that we were talking about earlier a little bit higher still. But I love that this isn't what i was expecting right like i'm so used to having a fantastical nature to all of guillermo del toro's movies that to the point where i was just expecting something to happen and quite surprised that this movie was just so so bleak and within that guillermo del toro style and like kind of presence without feeling like it's another guillermo del toro movie like by the numbers in a sense where Mm -hmm. i was expecting a monster i was expecting a creature i was expecting a supernatural element. Or, you know what I mean? Like, and I we didn't really get any of that. And it's just like a really by-the-book noir movie that was, I think it's a great remake. I mean, now I'm interested to maybe go back and actually watch the original because mm-hmm. of it. Um, one thing I, we didn't really talk about that I found really interesting is, I don't know if you guys felt like this, but I, I found it really interesting that, like, I feel like the first 5-10 minutes, you don't actually hear the Bradley Cooper character talk right yes he i noticed like that
1: the 10 minutes in yeah, yeah I and I, I, I thought i was
0: like is this character mute is is this going to be a thing where he's very quiet and it's a nice kind of contrast to the person he becomes or like a person who talks his way out of everything it's interesting to see that character where he starts and it's just very stoic and very quiet um, mm-hmm. I thought that was an interesting choice at the beginning of the movie.
2: He definitely turns at the beginning different character than maybe you're allowed to expect. Those first few quiet minutes, like he does turn out to be a charmer and someone who leans on those skills. But at the beginning, you don't see that. He's yeah. he is very, very cool. quiet and just grim, and you're like, oh, exactly who is this guy? I do like the angle that in the end there is nothing supernatural in this movie, and that it's all mm-hmm. just cons. And it does show you the, I don't know, the the inner workings of these cons, and and, I, and that it, that's always fun. It's a little heist movie-ish, but because it's a nore nothing works
1: out right yeah so i was just gonna say like if you think about it this movie is very exposition heavy like there's a lot of like explaining how things are done and like how the tricks are being pulled but it never feels like it's exposition heavy i think it's very artfully written where everything feels natural and like in its right place so it doesn't feel like everything's being explained to you you know i do like that i do feel the length of this movie i think it feels a little long
2: mm-hmm.
1: so this critic david sims that i read he went on Litterbox and he reviewed this and he was like more like nightmare highway this movie's long bro and that <laughs> this the review which i thought was very very funny what yeah. is a nightmare you yes, know I don't know what a nightmare the Alley is. There's a
2: phrase they use in the movie, too. They yeah, do. Like you they just do. use it once in the movie, the and explanation I was like, oh, okay, I get where,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Insert Leo pointing meme. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this is,
2: I don't know exactly what it is.
1: Uh huh.
2: So I don't know what a nightmare Alley is. Because well, he says research. he
0: gets the geek. Sometimes he gets him from Nightmare Alley, right? right Isn't that yeah. what he says? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess it's has to be some kind of shady, like, mm-hmm. where all the drug addicts Yeah, Yeah, where all the drug something. addicts and stuff are. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I kind of imagine, but. I did find it very interesting that I think it's only really mentioned once, and then like that's where the title of the movie comes from.
1: When they say Nightmare Alley, it makes me think of that movie. Spawn. What? Why? Why? <laughs> oh, <laughs> because that's where yeah, they find yeah, him, yeah, that's right? where oh, they find him, yeah. and like, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's where they find Al Simmons. He's like in this like little alley full of like hobos and drug addicts. <laughs> I don't know. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. Weird, weird tangent. <laughs> Completely unrelated.
0: But I, I think overall, we all really enjoyed this movie. I mean. I, I'm i a little sad that, yes, I, we didn't get to see it in theaters, but I'm glad that it's available on Hulu and or HBO Max, if you have either one of those. Now you can yeah, watch it, I, you know?
1: I really hope it gets more eyeballs on it. I think what Disney's doing to these movies is, like, pretty unconscionable. It's really fucked up, actually. I, mm-hmm. I, I think uh, just to buy the studio... To bury its movies is is really fucked up. This is one of them, The Last Duel. I don't know. I feel like in a different year or different time, both those movies would have had legs. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think The Last Duel may be more than this one. I like this movie, but if I were to, like, to be an exec thinking like, well, is this going to win me... You know, you know, movies like this are with a star-studded cast and like a great director. Like they're thinking like awards, right? They're thinking like, is this going to be something that I could push? Is this something that you think they could push? Like, is Bradley Cooper and a Kate Blanchett like up for uh, best actor, best supporting actress with these roles, or is it t- something where they they saw it and they're like, I don't know if this is where we want to back our back? I you think know.
1: Bradley Cooper's a little too subdued in this to be best actor material. What can he even like? Put in his yeah, real there's, reel, there's yeah. very, like the end, like the very end, where where he breaks down in front of uh the Carney ringleader, and he's like, oh, I was, I was born for, th- I don't know, um, yeah, not not really, yeah. Uh, I mean, production design for sure, yeah, um, yeah. This production's design's insane. Everything from the carnival, and when he leaves the carnival with Molly, into like this Art Deco nineteen forties aesthetic. It's just perfectly done. It's so gorgeously wrought. I, I loved it. Uh, agreed. Agreed. The cinematography is great, too. Lots of different things done with the lighting and just the colors.
0: Yeah, even that very first shot we get when he lights the body on fire and then it just kind of lights. Yeah. starts engulfing the house. I thought
1: it was a That's beautiful shot. That's like the shot. wide shot where it's just Bradley Cooper in the foreground a little bit and the, and yeah. the tiny house in the back, which is on fire.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um. No, I, I agree definitely visually it's a beautiful movie to watch uh-huh. well if that is
0: all then Jeff where can people find more of your work
1: you can find me on my blog at strangeharbors.com and you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at strangeharbors what about you guys you can find me biting the head of a live chicken
0: what about you Derek <laughs> you're, the, you're the next geek is that what you <laughs> <find me? laughs> sometimes I feel like it <laughs> uh, you can find me on Instagram at World's Okayest Photos and Screen Agents Guild. But if you like this podcast, the easiest way to support our podcast is to subscribe wherever you get your podcast, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or any of the other popular podcast apps. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please do us a favor and give
1: us a great rating. It really helps to get our podcast out to more people. Yeah, and if you have any questions, comments, suggestions on our episode on Nightmare Alley, feel free to shoot us an email at jeff at strangeharbors.com. We like reading out emails on the pod, and um, we like hearing from you guys. So... Feel free to shoot us that email. And with that, we will see you guys next week.
2: See you next week, everybody. See you guys then.